0: Awesome, thank you guys. Um to give you a bit of uh where that came about. Uh last night about eleven o'clock I, I turned to Megan as she was going to sleep and I was like, hey, can we sing this song tomorrow? And uh I got it in before midnight, so uh great job. Uh love that song. Uh, but would you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter twenty four? Luke chapter twenty four, and uh we'll begin reading in verse and as you're uh, turning there, just a reminder of what that video was about. That video is about the offering that we're taking up for the month of April and, and for part of May as well that goes to support the work of uh, the North American Missions Board. That's uh, one of the missions boards that our church supports. And uh, you can see how uh, the money being raised is going to help uh, establish churches all over the country. Something neat to keep in mind uh, because of this offering and our church's giving and other churches like us uh, we're able to pay for church planners their first year of health insurance and retirement, um, which is a huge blessing. I know a lot of the, the my friends who planted churches over the last couple of years, they wish they would have waited until now to get that blessing. But it just goes to show that the money that we give as a church goes to really make a difference that helps plant churches and also helps uh, these pastors and their families have a good situation which they can thrive, not just survive, but hopefully to thrive as well. Um, Well, with that in mind, let's turn our attention to God's word. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. And if you are able to, I know we asked you to sit down, but if you're able to, would you please stand in order to honor the reading of the words of our God? Luke says here, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces on to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and crucified, and on the third day, Had happened. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that because of this text right here, because of the pronouncement made that Jesus has risen from the dead. Lord, we thank you that we can look death in the face and say, oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? Because your son, Jesus Christ, walked out of that grave with victory over sin and victory over death so that we could have hope of eternal life. So that even the worst thing that could happen in this world will be our entrance into eternity with you. Lord God, I pray now that you would be glorified through the preaching of your word so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. A couple of years ago, I was down in Fresno, and I received a, a flyer. And on this flyer, it, it, there were three things. There was uh, uh, a statement saying, "Come get your picture taken uh, with with a bunny." Uh, there's going to be an egg hunt, and then here's the time that that all of these events are going to be happening. And, and as I was reading this flyer, I was wondering, you know, what is this about? Is it an Easter carnival? Is it event at maybe a local park? Is it an event at the mall? Uh, or some sort of sale that they're trying to get you to come in for. No, that flyer was actually a flyer from a church in in Fresno. And it said nothing about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It said nothing about who Jesus is. It was just saying, come take a pig with a bunny, hunt for some eggs, and here's the times that all of these things are going to be happening. You know, as I was reading that, and I was thinking about that, I, I, I was thinking about our brothers and sisters in Christ overseas who are being put to death for simply just passing out Bibles. And how we, as churches in America, we're handing out flyers for our Easter service, one of the the heights of the year, that that say really more about Peter Cottontail than about the risen Christ. How can this be? It's possibly because of what Easter is actually about, that many are afraid of talking about. Easter is about death, and we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to talk about tombs. We don't want to talk about graves. Easter is not simply about hams, and don't get me wrong, I love ham. I have a ham in the smoker right now. Hopefully it's not burning. It's not simply about eggs, and it's not simply about bunnies. Easter is about graves. It's about a grave. It's about blood and torture, a horrific death. But it's also about life. Easter is about an empty tomb in the Middle East. And it's a reminder as well for every single one of us that there are tombs that are not empty yet. There are tombs that are still waiting to be filled, waiting to be filled with the bodies of you and me. You know, it's not surprising that there are some churches that aren't promoting the celebration of an empty tomb. It's not surprising that there's actually some children's curriculum for churches that have been written leaving out the resurrection story because it might be disturbing for them. Which is true. The resurrection gospel story, the good news of Jesus Christ about him dying and rising from the dead will disturb children. And it will also disturb you if you understand it correctly. Because it's a reminder. It reminds all of us that we are sinners, and that every single one of us as well will die one day. So friends, the story of the empty tomb, though, can't be skipped over simply because we're disturbed by it. That the truth of the resurrected Christ can't be skipped over. That the truth of the resurrection is of supreme importance. One pastor by the name of Tim Keller put it this way. He says, the resurrection is the hinge upon which the story of the world pivots. So friend, I want to ask you, why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? You know, and essentially, that's what the angel was asking the women in verse 5. He said, why do you seek the living among the dead? Which I think, and I've said a number of times uh, years past, I think this is the greatest question in all of the Bible. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Followed, by the greatest statement in all of Scripture, which is what? He is not here, but he has risen. So, friend, I want to ask you, why are you here this morning? Are you here because maybe you were dragged in? Or, or maybe you simply just have to be here. Or maybe there's something that was compelling you to come this morning. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen there's a glorious truth that are found in those verses the, the wondrous truths that are, that are made in that pronouncement here we have the pronouncement that christ is not there he is not here at the tomb where his body lay where when he was crucified dead and buried but what he is risen and why is that so important why is that statement so important that he is not here but has risen it's important because of what happened to jesus in, in verse 1 we we see that on the first day of the week so on sunday at early dawn they we know who they are from verse 10 it's the women mary magdalene joanna and mary the mother of james and some other women who were with them they went to the tomb we we see these women went to the tomb and what are they going to do they're going to anoint jesus's body that sunday morning they were walking to the tomb where jesus's dead body lay or so they thought and as they entered it went to the tomb they were entering into a garden and and I I wonder you know maybe sometimes I wonder what were they thinking as they were going to do that right they were probably wishing that Jesus hadn't gone to Jerusalem they were probably thinking if only Jesus had not let himself be arrested they were probably wishing maybe that they could sort of Go back and reverse the past, reverse what had already taken place, just like you and I often do, wishing we can undo something that's been done, take back maybe something that we said, or reverse something that can't be reversed. You know, we've all got those desires, don't we? To go back and and reverse what's happening, to go back and, and redo something that happened, or go back and take back some harmful word that we said. And we have these desires within us because we live in a greater story that tells us that this world, the things of this world, aren't as they should be. The world around us is broken. And the brokenness in the world teaches us that things are not as they should be. You know, we see and we hear and we feel that brokenness every day, don't we? You just... Turn on the TV and watch the news or uh, if you still get any news, if any of you, the three of you who still get newspapers in here, you just open up the newspaper and you read about the brokenness in the world. Or maybe you turn on social media and you see of all of these awful reports of things that are happening, of people being shot and killed or or the, or the, the horrific tragedies that are happening in Ukraine. Or maybe you feel that brokenness in your own life, whether it's. A receding hairline, or if you're like me, no more hairline. Or maybe it's troubling results from a doctor. Friends, the world is broken, and it needs to be reversed. It needs to be made right. And the world around us is groaning to be made right. So here are these women entering, going to the tomb, entering into this garden, and they're carrying with them these spices and they're 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 taking these spices with them because they're hoping to anoint the body of jesus they're they're taking these spices that are sort of going to embalm him and, and preserve his body just a little bit longer from decay because christ was dead just the friday before the one in whom these women had placed their hope the hope that maybe he would overthrow the the Roman government around them and, and set up an earthly kingdom, that same man that his followers hoped that they would rule with, this same man they saw hanging up on wooden posts and they watched as he drowned in his own blood. And as they watched Jesus cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As they watched Jesus cry out, it is finished. So too did they think that their hope Was dying as well. And when he was taken down off the cross, he was pronounced dead by professional executioners who had probably just earlier that day or the day before pronounced all sorts of other men dead. And so their hopes were crushed. They thought their hope was dead. And they must have been thinking, why did Jesus have to do that? Why must Christ die? Well, friends, he had to die. Because of who he is. He had to die because of the perfect life that he lived. He had to die because there was another garden. There was another garden where sin entered into the world. That garden is spoken of in Genesis chapter 3. Where a serpent, Satan, where Satan entered the world. And ruled over man and woman. And therefore man and woman, Adam and Eve rebelled against the eternally good and wise God. It was there in that garden in Genesis chapter 3 where sin and all of its brokenness began its cancerous spread all over the world and corrupting of all things good. Friends, it was in that garden in Genesis 3, the Garden of Eden, that your tomb and my tomb were prepared for us. Why? Because we are all sinners as Paul writes in Romans 6:23 the apostle Paul writes the wages of sin is death friends every single one of us had our tombs prepared for us on that day because of sin we have all sinned against god there is not one of us who are perfect here yes even in the church you are guilty and your tomb is prepared for you we have all broken god's law the one who created the universe and set forth what is right and wrong, all of us have broken God's design. Therefore, there must be a punishment for our sins. There must be a payment that needs to be made. A payment must be offered, and it must be a perfect payment for those sins. Look, I couldn't die for you, nor could you die for me. I must pay the punishment for my own sins. Or have it paid for me. And friends, that's why Christ had to die. That's why he alone is the one in whom all the promises of God find their yes and amen. He is the only one who has fulfilled all of the law's righteous demands, and that is why he alone could die for you. That is why he must die. Christ actually says himself, if you look at, in Luke 24, verse 26, he says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? In other words, he's saying, Necessary. It was the only way. Friends, in that first garden, the garden of Eden, sin entered the world. But this garden, where Christ's tomb was, in Luke twenty four, the defeater of sin stepped out into the world. In that first garden, the serpent ruled over man and woman, but in this garden, this garden where, where is where that ancient serpent, the devil's head, was So, friends, that is why we can have a hope that Jesus Christ can save us from our sins because he has defeated sin and death. Now, maybe some of you are here today and you were dragged here. Maybe you're objecting to these things and maybe you're saying, well, these things are not true. They're just made up stories. The disciples stole Jesus's body or whatever other rumor you want to believe. Friends, I want you to consider this. I want you to know that that Christianity is historically accurate and valid. It's not just sort of wishful thinking. Consider some of these things around the time of Jesus. Consider this. In the time that Jesus lived, before and after him, there were all sorts of messianic movements in Israel. And almost every case, every so-called messianic leader was killed. And then what happened? Those movements quickly and completely collapsed. After their leader's death, they all went home. But of those numerous movements, there was only one that didn't collapse after leader's death. No, no, no. Christianity absolutely exploded and exploded so much that 300 years later, it spread to the entire Roman Empire. Now, in thinking about all of the sort of messianic movements of these political leaders who were going to come and set everybody free, what set Christianity apart? What made it different? What made it different was what happened after the death of the leader, after the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. What happened after his death? Well, what we've got recorded here and in the three other gospels. These women went to the tomb and they were told that Jesus is not here, but he has risen. So that leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't say dead, but he rose from the dead. That's one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion is that we are saying that our leader has conquered sin and death. But I also, so I said it is, Christianity is historically accurate and valid. And there's a, there's a, there's a key to understanding its historic reliability here in Luke 24. Notice who went to the tomb first. Who went to the tomb first? Who saw the empty tomb first? Luke tells us that it was these women here. And in verse 10, he records their names for us. And Luke recording their names here is no small thing. What Luke is really saying to his original leaders is he's saying, here are my sources. You can go and you can speak to them. One pastor put it this way. The names of the women here are our source citations you could call them footnotes in other words when you're reading an academic paper and somebody is quoting from somebody else they have to put in the citation of where they got that quote right so that you can go back and make sure they're quoting it correctly and that's what uh, that's what Luke is doing here with these women he's saying look here are my witnesses that that saw him you can go and you can speak to them and, and, and in the time that Luke was writing this, if people had questions, they could go and they could speak to him to them. Now, I understand none of us can go do that today, right? But this is actually an incredibly important key to understanding the historic reliability of this account. Because what Luke is doing here is he's showing us that the first witnesses were women. The first witnesses to the empty tomb and the resurrected Jesus, the first witnesses who heard that great pronouncement that he is not here, he is risen were these women listed in verse 10. Why is that important? Why is it important that, that he lists these women as the first eyewitnesses, the first reporters of the empty tomb? Well, you notice that Luke and the other gospel writers, when they're reporting these women as the first eyewitnesses, that's no small matter. That's not minute details. Because in the first century, women were not able to testify in a Jewish court. The first century historian Josephus said even the witness of multiple women were not acceptable in the Jewish courts. In fact, one of the major opponents to early Christianity, a man by the name of Celsus, he actually mocked Christianity saying that if this was true, why would women be the first witnesses? Because their reports don't matter here. But friends, it matters because it's a reminder of the historical accuracy of the resurrection accounts in the Gospels. If this was some cleverly devised myth, if these were made-up stories, then women wouldn't have been presented as the first eyewitnesses. Do you understand that? If this was made up, then women wouldn't have been seen, uh, wouldn't have been the ones who said they were the first witnesses of the resurrection, let alone the first ones. The only way for women to be reported as the first witnesses here would be if they really were. Nobody would make up a story where their leader is not seen by maybe Peter or or John, but by these women here, unless it really did happen. So as that points us to the historic credibility of these gospel accounts, because if this was made up, it would not have been made up this way. And sisters, I also want to say this to you. This shows us that despite Whatever uh, uh, whatever academics or, or skeptics to Christianity may say in regards to Christianity oppressing and suppressing women, this here shows us that Christianity believes that women are of great value. They are the first proclaimers of the gospel. It shows you your dignity and it shows you your worth, despite whatever the world would say about Christianity. They are the first witnesses, the eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. And they're the first ones to go and declare that he is risen. So consider, if you're here and you're saying, I'm skeptical of these things, consider that. Consider the historic reliability of this account here. But I also want you to consider, if you are thinking, I don't know if I believe this, I want you to think about these things real quickly. Think about the claims that Jesus makes. So with that in mind, with the accuracy, the historical liability of the scriptures, I want you to understand the claims that Jesus is making. I'm going to read a couple of them for you. Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In John 8, 24, you can try and catch me if, if, if you can and turn into these different passages. I'm going to go quickly. I want you to hear and listen to these claims. John 8:24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 11 verse 25 through 26, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Consider this other claim of Jesus. He says, for this is the blood of my covenant which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Last claim. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20. Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe that all, all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, those are just a couple of the claims that jesus makes did you see those claims did you did you did you hear the claims that jesus made There, he's claiming to be the son of god he's claiming that through his blood is the forgiveness of our sins he claims that eternal life is found in him he claims that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him friends those are not the claims of some ordinary teacher Those are not the claims of some revolutionary. If you came this morning and you were thinking that Christ is just some, maybe he's some historical figure, he's just some, or maybe he's an important historical figure, but he's not the savior of the world, you better be absolutely certain that he is not who he says he is. Because if Christ is who he says he is, and you are wrong about him, you will face eternal punishment for your sins in hell those who are here today who think that Christ is just a good teacher or maybe he was just a good man you better know for certain that that is the case that that is all he is. Because friends his claims on your life if these claims are true that he makes and they are, if these claims are true and and they're confirmed in his resurrection, his claims on your life are far more than just a couple of days serving him a year no his claims on your life are for all of your life, not just parts of it. Friends, Christ's perfect life, the life that we should have lived, but none of us have, his death is the death that we all deserve to die, it was meant to save us from our sins. And you better know for certain the claims that he is making. So his life he has lived for us, The life that we are unable to live, a life that is perfect, a life that is sinless. And his death is the death that every single one of us deserve to die for our sins. But what about his resurrection? So we've looked at sort of the historic reliability of this account. We've we've looked at some of the claims that Jesus is making. And he's claiming that he's going to save us from our sins. And so we we see that he lived the perfect life. We see that he died. But what about his resurrection? Friends, there's nothing that you need more in your life than the forgiveness of your sins. And the resurrection is the proving ground of our forgiveness. The resurrection is the beginning of the reverse of the curse of sin and its stranglehold on your life. Look with me at verse 4, where he says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel, And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember, remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And what does verse 8 say? And they remembered his words. They remembered what Christ promised. Christ had risen from the dead just like he had promised. Just like Moses and the prophets and all of the scriptures pointed to, all of the Old Testament points to, he has risen just as he promised them, and they remembered his words. Friends, think of it this way. What does the resurrection prove? What does it mean for us? When a a criminal goes to jail for doing something wrong, they do their time, right? Then what's that? that they have fully satisfied that sentence, they walk out free because the debt that they owed has been paid. The sentence has been satisfied. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the King of the universe, came to pay the penalty for our sins. And that penalty was infinite. That's why He, God Himself, must do this, must come and do what we cannot do to satisfy the payment that we owe to God. And Christ fully satisfied that payment. Because on that first Easter Sunday, he walked out free. Friends, the resurrection of the Son of God, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, is God's way of telling every single one of us that for those who have trusted in Christ, your sins have been paid in full. I remember I remember growing up uh, singing uh, a song. Actually, not just growing up, we sung it at our church in Kentucky. And it was called, uh, it was, uh, I think it was called, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder. Um, and it went along the lines of when the roll is called of yonder I'll be there. In other words, when Christ returns and basically he calls our names, uh we'll go to be with him in glory. And I remember hearing one pastor say, you know, that that song is true, but your name won't be on it. There's only going to be one name that's on that roll, and that's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he has done what none of us could do. He has completely satisfied the wrath of God in all of those who have placed their faith in him, we are found in Jesus. God no longer looks at our sin, but he looks at us and he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus, the perfect payment that he has paid on our behalf. Friends, when Christ emerged from the grave, he did what none of us can do. He completely satisfied the wrath of God against our sin. So in that first garden, the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, all die. But here in this garden in Luke chapter 24, Christ made a way for all of us here today to have true life. Life, life, eternal life. If you want to turn with me to First Corinthians 15, verse 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 24. Paul writes here in First Corinthians fifteen twenty-two. He says, "For as in Adam all die." In other words, in that first garden, the Garden of Eden, what sin entered into the world, and along with sin came death. So also, in Christ shall all be made alive. In other words, in this second garden that we have looked at in Luke twenty-four, now we know that life is found in Jesus Christ. For as in Adam all die, verse 22, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every, every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. In other words, what Paul is writing here and saying is that through the resurrection, Jesus has prepared the way for us. He is the first fruits, meaning he has prepared a way for us to not be swallowed up in death for eternity. And when he returns on that glorious day, When he returns, we too will rise and be with him for all eternity. So what what does the resurrection of Jesus Christ do for us? His resurrection guarantees our resurrection. For all those who place their faith in him, our resurrection, our eternal life is guaranteed in him. In his rising, the curse of sin has begun to be reversed. He is the first fruits of that reversal happening. And one day, all of the sting of death will completely be done away. At the end of uh, one of my favorite books, I could give you one guess what it might be. Some of you who know me well won't be shocked. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. There is a, 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 one of my favorite characters by the name of Sam, Samwise. He wakes up at the end after all of these battles that have taken place, all of the battles that he had had been fought, it's all over. It's been. It's accomplished. It's finished. There's no more fighting left. And he finds, he looks and he finds one of his companions alive whom he thought was dead. And he says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? I love that question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? untrue friends why is it that we find it so hard to face the difficulties of this life well, why is it so hard to face the difficulties that we face because oftentimes we think this broken world is all there is but the scriptures promise us that one day jesus is going to to, to wipe every tear out of our eyes and death shall be no more that's what the whole Bible says that Jesus is going to do at the end. In other words, that everything sad will come untrue. One of, one of uh, the president of the seminaries that I went to, Albert Moeller, put it this way. He said, in the kingdom of Christ, the glory of God will order all things and true shalom, true peace will be forever established. In the kingdom of Christ, every eye will be try, will be dry and every tear will be wiped away. In the kingdom of Christ, the lamb shall leap for joy. The prophet Isaiah declared that the wolf will live with the lamb, the child will play over the snake's den, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Nation will no longer rage against nation, and war will be no more. Where everything sad will come untrue. Friends, that's what Jesus came to do, starting with his empty tomb and with yours. Friends, back in the Middle East somewhere, There is an empty hole in the ground, a tomb that once held a dead, lifeless body of our Lord Jesus Christ, but now it's empty. And all those who have trusted in Christ, one day our tombs will be empty holes in the ground as well. And the question for every single one of you here this morning is, will your grave be empty on that glorious day as well? Kids, students here today. Maybe thinking, well, I'm young, I have time to live my life. I say to you, kids and students, you're old enough to sin, you're old enough to trust in Jesus today. Don't leave from here without knowing that your empty tomb has been secured today through the Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is the guarantee that our debt of sin has been paid in full. And it gives us the promise that everything sad. Will one day come untrue. It will one day be no more. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As we just sang a couple of moments ago, lo in the grave he lay, Jesus. My Savior, waiting the coming day. Jesus, my Lord. I'm not going to sing this, but I almost feel like I should. I'm not going to. I'll spare you from that. Up from the grave, he arose with a mighty triumph over his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with his saints today. He arose. He arose. Hallelujah. Christ arose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the empty tomb, the tomb that once held his cold, dead body. was empty on that first Easter morning when he walked out of the grave. And it is still empty today. Lord, I pray that if there are any here this morning who have not come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they have not repented of their sins and turned to trust in your son, Jesus, that they would do so today. That they would not walk out of here thinking that they have more time to live their lives however they want, but that they would seek to live for you in a way that is honoring and pleasing to you. And that begins with faith in your son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done to save us from our sins. Lord God, we thank you for the promise of the empty tomb. And we thank you that because Jesus is alive, We have a living hope. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.